If there's one subject that's guaranteed to spark a little bit of discussion and debate among Christians, then it's the issue of predestination or election, as it's sometimes called. In the history of the Christian church, this has probably been the most hotly debated topic. Uh, When we say predestination, what we mean is that God is the one who is in control of things, that he predetermines, predestines things that happen. God chooses, God determines beforehand how things will be, that God determines the events that happen in our world. Now, at one level, we're actually quite happy with that idea, that there's a God out there who rules over all things. He's God, for goodness sake. Of course he rules over everything. We don't really have much of an argument with that. We want him to be in control of the events of the world. That's why we come before him in prayer, because we know that he is the God who rules over all things. But the problem arises when it comes to this issue of predestination, or more specifically, election, that God actually determines who will be saved. If God predestines who will be saved, Well, then there's a couple of logical questions that I've got brewing in my mind that I would like to have answered, if you don't mind. I mean, is it just and fair for God to do that? To choose some people, but not choose others? And if God chooses some, but not others, then how can he blame those people who haven't chosen him? I mean, he's the one who did the choosing. Now, it may be a contentious issue, And I'm more than happy to admit that it may even be an issue that's difficult for us to understand. And it's most often dismissed by people as being a a Calvinist idea, as though John Calvin came up with it in the mid-1500s, that no one had ever thought of it before, and he's the one to blame for all of this. But predestination is an issue that you can't escape, because Calvin didn't make it up. The Bible clearly talks about it all the way through the Bible, but probably most clearly in the passage that we're looking at this morning. Now, when we read this section of Romans, we need to remember that this is not some dry academic argument on the subject of predestination. This is not some textbook that you're going to find in a theological library somewhere. Some people have this idea that Paul wrote Romans because kind of had a little bit of spare time on his hands and there were a few big theological ideas that he wanted to make sure that he got down before dementia set in. So they think that Romans is just some dry academic book. But nothing could be further from the truth. This is a deeply personal issue for Paul and a serious pastoral issue that he's dealing with as well. So here's the issue for Paul. The Christian church started as a movement out of the Jewish community in Jerusalem and and, and in what was Israel. Jesus was Jewish. All of the disciples were Jewish. Paul himself is proudly Jewish. But as Christianity grew, it flourished among the Gentiles. And it ended up that the greatest opposition to Christianity came from the Jewish leadership. Paul has said that salvation comes by faith in Jesus, not by your own efforts, not by your own works, nor by obedience to the old covenant law in the pages of the Old Testament. 
So what about those in Israel who, who seem to have rejected Jesus? What's going to happen to them? Now again, this is serious stuff for Paul. And it's a subject that's close to Paul's Jewish heart. Something that he agonises over. I mean, look at how this section begins. Chapter 9, find verse number 1. And you can feel the passion involved here. I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it in the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Theirs is the adoption of sons. Theirs the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs. From them is traced the human ancestry of Christ, who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Can you sense how deeply Paul feels this issue? At the end of the last chapter, if you can remember back to Romans chapter 8, Paul gave us one of the greatest passages in the whole Bible, talking about the fact that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. So now he turns to what for Paul is the heartbreaking reality is that there seem to be those who are separating themselves from the love of Christ, who want nothing to do with Christ. And it's his very own people. Now as he's done all the way through this letter, Paul knows exactly what the questions are that we're going to ask. The questions that people would have had in mind when they heard this letter. And this chapter of Romans is really broken up into three questions and here they are. Has God's word failed? That's the one in verse 6 of chapter 9. Then jump down to verse 14. He says, is God unjust? And then the last question is, if God predestines, then why does he still blame us? So let's have a look at what Paul says about each of those questions. The way things were looking for national Israel at the time that Paul wrote this letter, they must have been wondering, has God's word failed? I mean, God made all of these promises to Abraham, all of these promises to the people of Israel. Didn't God promise that it would be through Abraham and his descendants? And Paul's adamant that God's promises have not failed. The fact is, God never promised nor ever intended that the whole of national Israel would be saved. One of the most important verses to understand in this passage is right there, verse number 6. It's not as though God's word had failed. And listen to what he says. For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Nor because they are descendants Are they all Abraham's children? On the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. The Jewish people had reached this point where they thought that all you had to do was chase your ancestry back to Abraham and you were right. You were one of God's chosen people. They were depending on the fact that they were descendants of Abraham. It's less an issue of how you lived and more an issue of Can you trace your family tree back to there? Because if you are, if you can, then you're in. And Paul says, that's never been the case. Just because you can find Abraham in your family tree, that doesn't mean anything. 
Not all who are descended from Israel are Israel. Being able to trace your family tree back to Abraham means nothing. Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael, but the promise was carried on through Isaac. Isaac had two sons, and look at what Paul says, verse number 10. Not only that, but Rebekah's children had one and the same father, Isaac. Yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad, in order that God's purpose in election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. Just as it is, as it is written, Jacob I loved and Esau I hated. God's purpose was never that the whole of national Israel would be saved. I mean, it's clear from the pages of the Old Testament. Paul keeps quoting from what God has said to his people in the Old Testament. There would be some who were chosen by God and there would be others who were not predestined by him. God is the one who is working out, as he says there in verse 11, his purpose in election. The fact that God appears to have rejected national Israel shouldn't be seen as fickleness on God's part. It was simply never part of God's plan that every descendant of Abraham would be saved. Jump ahead to verse number 27 in chapter 9 and look at what he quotes from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the Israelites be like the sand by the sea, only the remnant will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence on the earth with speed and finality. Isaiah said that. And he said that hundreds of years before Paul wrote this letter to the Romans. Now the next question is a very obvious one, isn't it? Verse verse number 14, what then shall we say? Is God unjust? Is it fair that God should work like that? Is it fair that God should choose some people and not other people? Well, Paul's emphatic answer is it's absolutely fair. God can have mercy on whomever he chooses. God's under no obligation to have mercy on anyone. Look at verse number 15. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It doesn't therefore depend on man's desire or effort, but on God's mercy. God is not unjust. He can have mercy on whomever he chooses. But it leaves us with that last glaringly obvious question. Then why does he still blame us? Verse number 19. One of you will say to me, then why does God still blame us? For who resists his will? If God's the one who chooses, then how come he still judges people for not choosing him? And Paul's answer is there in verse number 20. But who are you, O man, to talk back to God? Shall what is formed say to him who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for noble purposes and some for common use? I don't know about you, but I'm not sure that's the most satisfying answer that we could have to that question. 
But it's important to understand what Paul's saying here. I mean, you can see it, can't you? He's saying, God's God and you're not. God's the one who made this world. This whole world belongs to him. Every person in this world belongs to him because he is the creator of all things. It's not God who's in the witness box to be questioned by us. It's not God who's on trial to meet up with some kind of standard that we've set for him. God is God. He is clearly just and compassionate and merciful. He's right in everything he does. Even if we don't like it, And even if we don't understand it. I said before, there's this great difficulty in understanding predestination because there seem to be these two contradictory ideas that exist in the Bible. That God is the one who chooses who will be saved. Yet, there's this other idea that we need to share this good news about Jesus so that people can make the choice of trusting in him. Well, chapter 9 seems to say it's God who decides, God predestines, God elects. But the Bible also clearly says that human beings have moral choices to make, responsibilities, decisions to make. And human beings are going to be held responsible for the decisions that they make. So starting in chapter 9 and verse number 30, Paul moves to the other side of the coin. There may be some people who mistakenly think that God has rejected Israel. Well, Paul wants to remind them that Israel have done a pretty good job of rejecting God. Look at what it says, verse number 30. What then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have obtained it, a righteousness that is by faith. But Israel, who pursued a law of righteousness, has not attained it. Why not? Because they pursued it not by faith, but as if it were by works. They stumbled over the stumbling stone. Israel failed to do what God wanted them to do. What God wanted from them was faith, to trust him and to live like they trusted him. But they tried to pursue a relationship with God by creating boxes to tick, jobs to do, laws to keep. Paul gives a really sad description of their failure at the beginning of chapter 10. Turn over there to chapter 10, verses 2 and 3. Listen to this. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. Oh, they were sincere, Paul says, but it wasn't based on knowledge. No questioning their sincerity, Paul says, but they were just sincerely wrong. It's a devastating assessment, isn't it? I can testify about them that they're zealous for God, but their zeal's not based on knowledge. It's not based on the truth. I bet you can think of people who you know that are like that. Zealous for God, just not zeal based on knowledge, just not zeal pointed in the right direction. Sincerity is not, when it's not based on the truth, 
doesn't count for anything. It just means you're sincerely wrong. Israel didn't do what God wanted them to do. And that was simply to have faith in him, to trust him, to believe the promises he'd given to them. And they sought to establish their own righteousness rather than humbly trusting God. It's Israel who rejected God, isn't it? They refused to believe. They refused to trust the promises. So do you see what Paul's saying now? He's saying it's not God's fault. They they failed to receive the promises because they failed to trust God. They've gone looking for righteousness in all the wrong places, Paul says. Predestination or human responsibility? The ideas seem to be completely contradictory, don't they? Seems as though you have to choose one or the other. Seems as though you can't have both. But the Bible says that both are true. Even right here in this chapter of Romans, Paul says, God is God, God is sovereign, he predestines, he's the potter, he can do whatever he wants with the clay. He chooses some and doesn't choose others. He is working out his purpose in election. God says, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. But in the very same passage, Paul says, well, it's all about Israel's failure because they refused to trust God. They refused to act on the promises that God made. Well, what do you do with all of this? Pr- probably Paul's most complicated theological idea. How should this lead us to act and think? Should we go and sit in the corner and see if we can puzzle the whole thing out, see if we can get an answer that makes some sense to us? What are the practical implications of what Paul has to say to us sitting here in Balmain in 2018 on a Sunday morning? There have been some who say that if God's the one who predestines everything, well, you might as well just sit on your hands and do nothing. Because if God's got it all under control, it's going to happen the way God wants it to anyway. If God predestines everything, aren't we just robots? That's certainly not how Paul responds to this. And again, this isn't some dry, dusty academic debate for Paul. This is a real pastoral issue. Right back at the beginning, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it by the Holy Spirit. I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. And then at the beginning of chapter 10, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the people of Israel is that they might be saved. See, Paul's response to this idea of predestination is not just to sit on his hands and watch God work it all out. His response is to get on with telling people about Jesus. So when it comes to the issue of election or predestination, we, have to, we may have to conclude that we really don't understand. But when it comes to the question of human responsibility, the Bible's crystal clear. People can't believe in Jesus unless they hear about him. And I love Paul's conclusion, verse 14 of chapter 10. He says this, How then can they call on the one that they have not believed him? 
And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's a remarkable conclusion to a discussion on predestination, isn't it? For people to come to faith in Jesus, they've got to hear about him. And in order to hear about him, someone's got to tell them. And our part is the telling. Telling people about Jesus, preaching this good news. Our part is to have those beautiful feet. So who is it that you need to talk to about Jesus? Who is it that you know who needs to hear this good news? See, every one of us could write a list now of the people who we know who don't know Jesus. And Paul says, put the the issue of predestination aside. Where are your beautiful feet? How are they going to hear if someone doesn't tell them about Jesus? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, Paul says. Verse 13 of chapter 10. How then can they call on the one that they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Paul's conclusion to this discussion on predestination, make sure you're telling people about Jesus. Make sure you've got those beautiful feet. 